Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 17th day of September 2022. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and as is often the case, especially lately, folks, most of the really important stuff isn't getting anywhere close to the press coverage that it should. Of course, that's because they lie about it and cover up the stuff that's really going on in favor of stuff that doesn't matter. And we've known for a while that's especially true heading into a weekend. So I'll start off the review for this weekend with the last one from over the weekend and a bit of the stuff that led up to it. We just had a, a fake Biden Fuhrer uh, over a week ago declare war on the American people. Uh, the most un well, what's unconstitutional doesn't even begin to get it. Uh, the most unbelievable event, arguably, in American history. Literally, to have a Fuhrer standing up there shaking his fist, literally, literally an imitation of Adolf, and saying things and doing things that people would have said couldn't possibly happen in a free country. How can this be? How can this guy be declaring war on half the population? And then there was this. Beginning from Thursday into Friday, then with some follow-up courtesy of Tucker Carlson on Friday, who had one of the attorneys involved to talk about it on his show Friday night. Uh, Steve Bannon, as you know, they were, they drug him off in handcuffs for the crime of essentially working with Trump's campaign. Can't do that. We'll kill you. And he was on with Charlie Kirk earlier, and he said that in the last few hours, this was Thursday, 35 Trump supporters, uh, people that were um, major members of MAGA, senior staff, and so forth, were raided by the FBI. 35 raided by the FBI, and then before the day was out, the update said, no, it's over 50 that have been raided. This, folks, sounds like something Stalin would do. And uh, here's how Bannon put it. Uh, you saw the demonic speech Biden gave in Philadelphia. That's a dying regime. This was a primal scream. And here they're trying to do this, no matter who it is, whether it's Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. There were 35 FBI raids last night, he said, right? And there's another grand jury coming up on January 6th, the Washington Post has reported. But 35 senior members of MAGA, he said, Republicans, supporters of Donald Trump, that the FBI rolled in on. They didn't need to do it. All these people have lawyers. They could have contacted the lawyers. But instead, he said, quote, the jackbooted Gestapo has to show up at their door and make a big display of all of this. And the lawyer on with Tucker Carlson pointed out that all of this activity that they're being raided for is, without question, protected by the First Amendment. Uh, Gee, as if that still mattered. And then the Department of Justice is telling reporters about the search warrants and raids before... They're executed. Shades of Roger Stone and the show swatting. Point is, uh, this is all the DOJ, Department of Just Us, and it uh, it literally looks pretty nasty. There was this. Now, this is kind of fascinating. I'm going to do this as a compare and contrast. From the Epoch Times, a legal expert has warned the country risks descending into anarchy amid escalating criticism of federal, ahem, I'm going to say it as disgustingly as I can, law enforcement in the wake of the latest FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, facing heated allegations of bias, bias is putting it mildly, folks, these are Gestapo. These are people out literally attacking their political enemies. And uh, Stalin would have been proud. They banned political activity. What? The Department of Justice has supposedly banned political activity of all non-career political employees. 
And I'm thinking, yeah, sure. Just like the Marines banned appearing on either side of the Reichfuhrer wannabe and threatening the American people. Did you know that was a violation of their code of honor? It was a violation of DOD regulations? Didn't stop them, did it? Basically doing a political appearance and threatening the American people? The ban came, get this, as public distrust of law enforcement agencies has now hit new low levels. A recent Rasmussen poll said 53% of all voters agree with the statement that the FBI is, quote, Joe Biden's Gestapo. And I'm wondering, what about the other 40-plus percent? Well, are they paying attention? There's always a bunch who are basically saying, yeah, go get them. But what about the rest of them? 36% are the only number of voters who disagreed with the description of the FBI being a Gestapo. The rest said, well, yeah, I guess you could make a case, (laughs) and they are certainly making the case. So essentially, this is the same Department of Justice that is telling you, oh, uh, we are uh, very non-political. And they just finished raiding, literally, uh, four dozen people that have to do with their political opposition. And uh, said that the lawyer on with Tucker Carlson, quite frankly, they just don't care. It's this out-of-touch behavior, said a former special U.S. agent to the Epoch Times. This out-of-touch behavior by the political class has caused the crisis that uh, caused the DOJ to try to respond with this bogus ban. Yeah, now that they've been caught and called out for it over and over and over again, Merrick Garland's trying to pretend he isn't what he so clearly is. America's homegrown Adolf Eichmann. From there, we'll turn to another face of the public-private partnership that also wants to make sure Americans are disarmed and therefore more susceptible to their new final solution. But just maybe, they seem to believe, the private part of the partnership might be more likely to get away with it. From the Epoch Times, Zero Hedge, and lots of others, an international standards body, oh yeah, ISO, you've probably heard the name, the International Organization for Standardization, and they're an NGO, which makes them a really great public-private partner based in Geneva, Switzerland, that creates standards, say the pieces, for various industries, including, of course, the financial services industry, Achtung, and you will not be able to buy or sell without our permission, has now approved a new merchant category code for very soon-to-be verboten things, like gun and ammunition stores. This, according to a September 9 announcement from Amalgamated Bank, a, what else, New York-based bank that had applied to ISO for the new merchant category code. And guess who's really hot to trot on it? Visa, MasterCard, and American Express have all said they're going to adopt that new merchant code for gun sales, a move that gun control advocates say, oh, they've been jonesing for all along. It will better help them to track all of the peons and then all the better to disarm them. It seems to boil down to this, folks. You pay for anything involving firearms with plastic? Ha <laughs> ha! Gotcha! You slave, you. Und know where you live. Payment processor Visa Incorporated announced their decision on Saturday to join MasterCard and American Express, which also says they plan to move forward with categorizing gun shop sales. It's called a major win for the disarmament crowd who want to make sure the peons can't fight back because it will, get this, better track suspicious surges of gun sales. Yeah, people realizing what's going to happen are trying to buy something while they still can. Because, oh yes, it could be a prelude to a mass shooting, or it could be a prelude to the mass resistance that they really want to nip in the bud. Visa said they'll adopt the ISO's new merchant code for gun sales, allowing them to explicitly track anything that they don't want you to have, because up until then, gun store sales were considered general merchandise.
Not that Big Brother probably wasn't already watching for it. Especially, folks, if you have to fill out one of those unconstitutional yellow permission slips before you're allowed to even buy it. Oh, and this is the last part of the story, but it's truly revealing. Amalgamated Bank, which calls itself America's socially responsible bank. Yes, they're your public-private partner, and they know better than you do what's good for you and what you're not allowed to have. They said their decision to push for creating the new code is a result of nearly three years of research and partnership with experts at Guns Down America, and the Giffords Law Sick Center, as well as broad support from other public partners like elected officials, pension funds, and others across the once-free United States. And if there were ever any companies more deserving of being on the ash heap of history, well, they're probably in Big Pharma. But wait, there's more. Call it a public-private partner one-two punch. United Parcel Service, UPS, one of the largest remaining U.S. package delivery companies, has now changed their shipping regulations so that they're intended to hurt small to medium-sized gun manufacturers. According to another piece from Zero Hedge, this time via Ammoland News, which obtained a letter that UPS sent to customers in the firearms industry specifying how, as of the end of August, shipments of at least 50 handguns per day had to be sustained to use its second-day air service. Und sellers who did not meet those new volume requirements risk losing, aw, sorry for you, your shipping accounts. This is because they have updated their policy to adhere to the new regulations issued by their anti-constitutional but very public partner, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms und Explosives, and of course, a number of far-left states. And guess what? An anti-gun group, you just heard this name, called the Giffords Law Center, to prevent the Second Amendment, has pressured FedEx and UPS both to adopt their public-private partner strategy of refusing to ship dangerous firearms products that are, they say, fueling the epidemic of gun violence and blah-de-blah-de-blah. And guess what, folks? Firearms advocates, says the piece, are claiming that anti-gun partners like Giffords are pressuring, who could have thought it, private corporations to change their ways in what's called, because that's what it is, backdoor gun control. Said Eric Pratt, Senior VP of Gun Owners of America to Ammoland, this is yet another example of woke cancel culture coming from the anti-gun crowd. And he added, if UPS is going to act like an enemy of our once God-given constitutionally protected rights, well, he said, quote, they shouldn't receive a dime of federal taxpayers' money, unquote, and amen. This is about using the openly fascist tactic, a.k.a. the public-private partnership, to weaponize corporations and do what government, at least in theory, was once prevented by constitutional crystal clear Bill of Rights prohibitions from even infringing in the slightest bit. From there, we're going to skip ahead a bit chronologically, at least, and follow up with a headline review of what I guess I'm going to have to call the duh stories of the week, which were legion. We've heard them before. We may not have believed them the first few times, but at this point, we're going, are you kidding me? How much further does this nation have to go before it hits rock bottom? Or is there such a thing as hitting rock bottom? One thing I can say without fear of contradiction at this point, if you think it's ugly now, folks, just wait. Here's the first of those duh headlines. Maybe they're an order of increasing insanity. From Dr. Joseph Mercola, U.S. life expectancy has fallen yet again in what's called an historic decline. 
This is, he says, from the latest statistics reported by, who else, the New York Times at the end of August this year. Life expectancy in the formerly free United States dropped precipitously since the COVID pandemic in the years 2020 and 21. Before the Fauci flu and CCP-enhanced gain-of-function bioweapon was deployed, Back in 2019, the average American lifespan was nearly 79 years. But by the end of 2021, the Zyklon B year, two years into the pandemic and one full year into the mass vaccination sick campaign, life expectancy had dropped to 76 and a loss of nearly three full years, which is, of course, a statistical impossibility short of something, well, dramatic, having a causal relationship. But come on, be honest, you knew that, didn't you? Another one of those duh items, this one from one of the major leftist hellholes in the United States, Dr. Ngozi Ziki, former director of the Illinois Department of Public Health, has admitted during a press briefing that that state inflates the number of deaths caused by the Fauci flu Wuhan COVID-1984 pandemic bioweapon. Quote, I just want to be clear in terms of the definition of people dying with COVID. He said, the case definition is very simplistic. It means at the time of death, it was a COVID positive diagnosis. But he continues just to make it clear how they're lying. So that means if you were in hospice and had already been given only a few weeks to live, and then you were also found to have COVID, that would be counted as a COVID death. It means that technically, even if you died of a clear alternative cause, but you had COVID at the same time, it's still listed as a COVID death. In other words, folks, that's how they inflate the numbers and try to scare the living you-know-what out of you and the poison poke into you. Ask about it. The so-called doctor even admitted, well, this inflates the numbers, of course. Quote, that makes the population a little bit afraid of this little thing, unquote. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Next, and I guess you could call this a related duh story, from the Centers for Death and Control, which has now admitted that killer batches, as the piece from Natural News says, of the COVID-1984 Zyklon B are still being given to the public. Yep, a recent investigation by the CDC revealed that certain lots that have already been identified of the alleged Wuhan coronavirus mRNA DNA changing vaccines linked to extremely high numbers of adverse reactions and outright deaths are still being rolled out to the public. The specific lot number says the piece linked to those adverse reactions and deaths have been identified but not withdrawn. <laughs> Why stop when you got such a good thing going? And besides, not like they can see you or anything. So back next to Illinois again for another kind of dust story, but it still also falls into the category of they really do want you dead. This is from Ethan Huff at Natural News, and it's called The Purge. Can you believe it? Illinois is eliminating bail requirements for murderers starting next year. I guess if you're going to kill somebody, make sure you do it right there in Chicago, where it might get lost in the noise anyway. Politicians, it begins, in the state of Illinois have passed a new law that will do away with cash bail for 12 what they call non-detainable offenses, including, but not limited to, second-degree murder. Get this. These lying scumbags call it the Safe T Act. Safe Accountability Ut Fairness Equity Act. Yes, we want to kill you, and we don't care if you know it. It also eliminates the bail requirement for aggravated battery and arson, drug-induced homicide, kidnapping, burglary, robbery, intimidation, which they do so well, aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing and eluding, drug offenses, and threatening a public official, which may be the only thing in the whole list that you can make a case for. 
starting in 2023, all of these crimes become non-detainable offenses, meaning criminals who commit them or commit them again and again will simply be charged and immediately released back into the community to keep on doing what they've been doing. Some have compared the act to what was depicted in the film The Purge. Writes Ethan Huff, the rest of us just suggest, hey, human nature being what it is, guess what Illinois is now going to get a whole lot more of? And I guess what that means, folks, is that if you still live in the gun-free killing zone of Chicago, what the heck are you waiting for? As a matter of fact, get out of the entire stinking state before it's too late. They really do want you dead. Another one of those duh stories that may even swim a bit against the tide. Most people think Florida is on the right track, or at least trying to be, but not so much in some of the leftist cesspools like Miami. Kids and Teens says yet another piece from Natural News are now texting a Miami plastic surgeon at her request via Twitter and TikTok to set up their organ mutilation surgery appointments. Quote, Here at Gallagher Plastic Surgery, you can just text us, probably set up most of the surgery without talking to anybody on the phone. So just text us on this number, she says, as she points down towards the number literally posted on the kid-directed video so they can set up their permanent sex organ mutilation surgery. And isn't that cool? Dr. Sidba Gallagher, a.k.a. Dr. G, as in gangsta, says she is fully capable of deciding whether you, you little prepubescent minor you, are mentally and physically well enough or mature enough to undergo the permanent life-changing surgery. And no, quote, year in gender role is needed. Meaning, if you just decided today you felt a little bit crazy and wanted to whack something off, you can switch from being a boy to a girl or the other way around. Jump right in. Text now and set up that appointment. All of this while cool gangster rap about bitches and hoes, says the piece, plays in the video's background to influence kids and teens as to how cool it is to get your sex organs permanently mutilated. And here's just a quick slice of your host's own opinion. This doesn't happen in a nation where insanity hasn't replaced the rule of law. Oh yeah, and neither does this. From Paul Joseph Watson via Summit News, and the swamp denizen tyrants trying to destroy what's left of this nation... The demonization of Americans he begins continued on the anniversary of 9-11 when the disgustingly evil, that's my own opinion there, folks, DHS Chief Alejandro Mayorkas suggested that the biggest terror threat, no, it's not anything we've already been talking about, it's domestic extremists. And you know who you are. Ever read the Constitution? Believe the Bible still matters? Think that the rule of law is being destroyed before your eyes? Yeah, then look in the mirror. You're one of them. Anyway, they've been radicalized, he said, by false narratives propagated on online platforms. Ut this is why you must be silenced. The Department of Achtung Homeland Security Secretary made the comments during an appearance on where else? MSNBC. Where he said, quote, we're seeing an emerging threat, of course, over the last several years of the domestic violent extremist. And as Chris Menahan highlights it, Mayorkas has wielded a pretty broad brush on that score. He said last year that white extremists are the greatest threat to America, and he put out terror alerts painting any and all opponents of COVID lockdowns or people who don't trust the Biden regime as potential, and they've even got a new acronym for it, folks, DVE. Domestic violent extremists or terrorists. And guess what? If you saw the Biden speech from hell, you know what they intend to do to you, too. On then to some economic duh news. 
First, from Zero Hedge and Tyler Durden, core retail sales have disappointed in August, and July's numbers were revised down. Uh, duh, massive inflation tends to do that. A related piece from Ryan McMakin at the Mises Institute says, August price inflation soared, we knew that, but that means earnings fell yet again at U.S. corporations that have survived so far. And here it is again, duh. This one, though, does have an interesting observation buried within. Needless to say, says McMakin, this is not what the regime occupying the swamp was hoping to see going into the final 60 days before the midterm elections. But, hey, they have a plan already, don't you know? It's also not good news for the unconstitutional Federal Reserve because persistent price inflation is a repeated reminder of just how far behind the curve the Fed now is and how reckless the Fed was in essentially printing nearly 5 trillion fiat bucks between February 2020 and April 2022 over the past two years, the Fed repeatedly assured the gullible public that creating vast amounts of new money out of nothing would be no problem and that price inflation would never be anything more than transitory. Oh, yeah. But once that narrative was disproven, he continues, the Fed then began to admit late in 2021 that CPI inflation was no, not really transitory, but the Fed would not allow it this time around, at least, to become entrenched. But ah, turns out it really did become entrenched, and the Fed waited more than six months from the fall of 21 until spring of this year to actually begin raising the target federal funds rate. And he goes on to describe how their lack of real action probably means it's a bit too late. But, (laughs) duh, we already knew that part again, too. And at this point, folks, they can raise interest rates as high as they want. The economy will long be dead anyway, and there's not enough money to pay it back at any rate, unless, of course, you can print it. There's more than enough money been created now to destroy everything in sight. As history demonstrates, it's pretty much how it always happens. Put just a bit differently, there's more than enough money already been created to sink the ship. The problem is they've destroyed the production side of the equation as well. And no matter how much money you want to pay for it, if it's not there, you just can't buy it. On then to housing for more of the duh effect for the day. The hits just keep on coming, says a piece from Tyler Durden. This is the sharpest turn in the housing market, says the quote up front, since the crash of 2008, as mortgage rates now soar above 6%. Three months after hitting the highest level in 14 years, this Thursday, mortgage rates hit a fresh post-financial crisis high, topping 6%, and that, they say, is, (laughs) this is a bit of an understatement, folks, a jolt to home buyers who were last year paying less than half that. Yeah, I guess a million fiat bucks just doesn't buy what it used to. And this is an interesting way to put it. The jump in mortgage rates, says Tyler Durden, a welcome development by the U.S. Central Bank, which now wants to unleash a crippling recession on the U.S. economy, is one of the most pronounced effect of the Federal Reserve's campaign to, at least allegedly, curb inflation by lifting the cost of buying for consumers and businesses and anybody else who won't be able to afford to live and crush demand for any and all levered purchases. Here next, the final duh story in the sequence, this time from Martin Armstrong via armstrongeconomics.com. And by the way, I'm not being critical of people like the excellent cycles analyst Martin Armstrong, because he too has been pointing out this is exactly what you get when you do stupid things over and over and then keep doubling down, claiming at least to expect a different result. Washington, he says, seems to act perplexed as to why recruitment for the U.S. military is nearing a record low. The headline, 
pretty well nails it, food stamps for U.S. soldiers. But hey, that's just part of the story. Food inflation, of course, is on the rise across the world, increasing almost 11% in the U.S. over last year. That's the biggest 12-month spike in food prices since the last really big bout of inflation in 1979. He goes through some of the numbers. Bakery goods are up 15%. Dairy products almost 15% in the past year alone. But the trouble is, service members who rely on their government pay, which is not adjusted for inflation, are struggling. And that's if they survive the poison poke, folks. So no wonder recruitment is down. All of this may come as a surprise, though, says Armstrong, because the Pentagon even comes right out and admits they believe 24% of enlisted personnel are food insecure. Huh? Yeah, how on earth, asks Armstrong, could the U.S. expect to maintain a strong military? The answer is obvious, folks. They don't intend to. When nearly a quarter of their members can't provide their families with food. Because it's not like the military budget is hurting for funds. Well, unless you're talking about things that aren't being shipped to Ukraine, where they won't be available domestically. So what else is new? The U.S. Army is now recommending that service members apply for food stamps. So let me see if I can't summarize the recruitment story as it stands mid-September 2022. We want you dead. If you want to join the Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines, you will take the poison poke. If it doesn't destroy you, then maybe we'll just starve you and see what happens then. In other words, you still want to serve your country? Well, here's what we think about that. And there's plenty more, of course, right after the Bob Meow break. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am your host, Mark Hall. And now we're going to pick up what I skipped over in the first segment, because in one respect, at least, the big news day was hump day, Wednesday. And maybe falling off of a cliff day is more like it when it comes to the markets. And a shock, a shock, I tell you, that they just couldn't possibly have expected. And that was that the CPI print was a lot hotter than most of those that were drinking the Kool-Aid actually thought it would be. The latest CPI report, bogus as it still arguably is, was released Tuesday morning. Once again, the inflation numbers show that despite the Federal Reserve's prowess at increasing interest rates, prices are still rising, maybe even out of control. Both the headline and core numbers were all higher than expected, and as a result, the stock bond and even metals markets, the paper ones anyway, were sold off big time. The headline CPI was supposed to be down just a teeny bit, like maybe a tenth of a percent. Instead, it was up about that same amount, so the year-over-year rate declined only slightly from a massive 8.5% to a still incredible 8.3%. And that, of course, is a gross understatement. We'll come back to that in a second. Core CPI, though, soared by six-tenths of a percent month-over-month versus expectations it was only going to be up less than a third of a percent. And all of this, folks, was despite a drop, at least temporarily, in gasoline prices. Oops. But rents soared. So, of course, did grocery prices, as anyone that's been paying attention was aware. So did things like health insurance. 
Even the leftist Larry Summers in a tweet announced that, quote, today's CPI report confirms that the U.S. has a serious inflation problem. Core inflation is higher this month and for the quarter, higher this quarter than last quarter, higher this half of the year than the previous one, and higher last year than the previous one. Median inflation used to be a favorite indicator for team transitory, but this month it was at its highest reading ever. So it's highly implausible, he says, that inflation will fall to 2% without an employment exceeding the so-called target, 4.5%. And what does that mean? Oh, you can guess, as Michael Every of Rabobank puts it, the markets are now indeed pricing in a terminal Fed funds rate, that's an interesting way to put it, of over 4.25%. Moreover, they're not just expecting that 3 quarter percent or 75 basis point rate hike in December, but risk at least of a full percent, 100 basis points. And the markets took the news really hard. The Dow took its biggest hit in over two years, down 3.9%, the most since June 2020, and that's over a 1,200-point smash. S&P was down even more, 4.3%, losing over a trillion and a half bucks in paper notional value. NASDAQ even more still, 5.2%, while U.S. two-year and 10-year yields both spiked. Summarized Michael Avery. Yesterday's U.S. CPI report was one of those market-moving blockbuster events that underline why nearly all the people who like to pretend they know what's going on really have no clue. He even adds, I include myself in that group, for having, too, been swept away by a trend expecting a weak inflation number for August on the back of those lower gasoline prices. Though he adds, in my defense, I've been warning that they weren't transitory for over a year, and yesterday specifically flagged that U.S. CPI was only going back to 2% again in the magical models, not anything approaching real life. Another headline from Zero Hedge puts it this way, an ocean of red, the first line reads, what a shit show. They've actually got a meme, a picture of the Biden Fuhrer standing in front of a great big screen like you'd see on CNN with everything. Microsoft, Gulag, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Berkshire B, Tesla, you name it, folks. A sea of red. But in the meme, at least, he looks happy about it as he's taking a selfie. Yeah, they add, everyone was so sure, so confident, and then boom, CPI printed way hotter than expected. Trouble is, as I've mentioned, that is still a lie. John Williams, in his report of actual inflation, measured and calculated the old-fashioned way, honestly puts it this way. Headline unadjusted, annual CPIU was 8.3% in August 2022 versus 8.5% in July. But Shadow Stats alternate measure was 16.5%, call it twice the official rate in August, versus even a bit higher back in July as well, with a continued hit from declining gasoline prices, which, of course, as your host has been pointing out not only won't last but aren't intended to furthermore august real disposable income continued to sink year to year hitting a cycle trough down by 5.2 percent for all employees and likewise headline annual poverty survey and income reporting showed continuing deterioration although in this case it wasn't statistically meaningful given the use of big brothers understated headline inflation numbers And bear in mind, folks, when they're able to lie about inflation and get away with it, that literally makes everything look rosier, or at least less catastrophic. All in all, here's a decent summary headline, courtesy of the Market Ear, also via Zero Hedge, that simply says, Panic is here. And just when everybody has about given up on the analogy to 2008, it decides to make a strong comeback. Well, what else is Big Brother up to today? 
among other things, trying to get you to ignore another headline that I'm going to spend some time on right after this. The FBI has tracked down a prominent Trump supporter and 2020 election integrity critic Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, who says he was stopped by Big Brother's Gestapo on Tuesday and had his cell phone seized. He'd been on a hunting trip with a friend. He was at a Hardee's in Minnesota when, quote, cars pulled up in front of us to the side of us and behind us. And I said, they're either bad guys or the FBI. Ah, well, okay, it's a bit redundant, folks. But, well, he said, it turns out they were the FBI. I can't even imagine, he added via Twitter, that you can take someone's phone because they want me to be a witness in the Tina Peters case. But I'm not a witness. They just want my phone. Unquote. And if you've forgotten, Tina Peters is the western slope of Colorado County clerk who's been attacked by the corrupt far-left state government in Denver for pointing out what, at a minimum, you ought to call election irregularities. How about outright fraud? And this, no Zero Hedges coverage, was the latest Trump ally to receive a warrant or a subpoena or a raid by the FBI. Last week, the Biden DOJ hit dozens of Trump aides and allies with subpoenas and searches as part of their investigation into efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election over claims of, well, exactly what it was, the biggest fraud in American history, which handed the White House to the senile communist puppet. And it's interesting to note how the Biden DOJ, sick, waited more than 18 months, but just coincidentally right before the midterms, to initiate legal action against everything Trump. And here Biden said he wouldn't weaponize the Justice Department. Well, okay, he didn't. His handlers did. Which leads me to this next story, which ought to be a major headline nationwide, and the fact that it's not really ought to be as well. Here's the real headline, Techno Fog, Zero Hedge, and the National Review basically get it right. The main steel dossier source turns out to be on the FBI payroll. Who could have thought it as a confidential informant reveals the Durham investigation in a new court filing? which says that Russian national Igor Danchenko, a primary contributor who, what else, the infamous Steele dossier, was hired by the FBI, America's Gestapo, as a CI, or confidential informant, back in 2017, said special counsel John Durham in that new court filing. He was ultimately charged in 2021 as part of Durham's probe of the Russia, Russia, Russia investigation, accused of lying to the FBI (laughs) regarding his sources for some of the claims that were used to try to take down the new administration in the Steele dossier. The charges focus on statements Danchenko made related to the sources he used or made up when it comes to providing information to an investigative firm in where else? The United Kingdom. And in case you've forgotten the allegations, which turned out to be as bogus as the FBI itself, that Trump colluded with Russia, 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 and, quote, accepted a regular flow of intelligence from the Kremlin, including on his Democratic and other political rivals, unquote. And turns out, yeah, we know it, the absolute opposite was, in fact, true. It all stemmed from a dossier by former British intelligence agents and lying spy Christopher Steele. After the 2016 election, which, of course, Hitler was supposed to win by hook or by crook, the dossier was found to have included a number of unverified, to put it mildly, or better still, erroneous claims, and Steele was accused of peddling that Russian election interference hoax in order to undermine Trump's campaign with his so-called dossier, funded by, what else, the Clinton campaign, through its own variant of a mafioso law firm, Perkins Coie. 
And during his interview with the FBI, Danchenko even suggested himself he was skeptical of some of the contents included in the dossier. I take it with a grain of salt, he said. Who knows? What if it's not particularly accurate? Is it just a rumor, or is there more to it? Well, that didn't even slow down the FBI, because they had a mission, as you know. And it turns out the FBI reportedly didn't even share Danchenko's concerns with the Department of Just Us because, oh, yeah, yeah, they had a mission as well to undermine the new administration that was never supposed to have been allowed to be elected anyway. The DOJ inspector general found in 2019 that the FBI had relied on that bogus information from the dossier despite Danchenko casting doubt himself on its contents. The motion provides lots of other new information on the details of Danchenko's lies to the FBI. And by the way, folks, don't let them get away with blaming him for all of it. They knew darn well what they were doing. Or you'd have to conclude they're just plain stupid beyond all credibility. Take your pick. And further information on how special counsel Robert Mueller, the scumbag himself, ignored Danchenko's false statements and expected testimony from Clinton-connected executive Charles Dolan. But perhaps the most damning development we've already touched on, Danchenko, who was introduced to Christopher Steele in 2010 by none other than the Russia, Russia, Russiagate impeachment witness Fiona Hill, was on the FBI payroll as a confidential human source from March 2017 through October of 2020, just before the rigged election. There's more background information in the Technofog piece about basically what the FBI knew and when did they know it concerning Danchenko's connections to the Clinton crime family. Remember, he was indicted for multiple false statements given to federal officials during the initial Russia, Russia, Russia investigation. You may remember as well they note that when the Steele report was originally planted in the press, the media picked up on the most salacious rumors, including one, of course, called the P-tape. Utterly unbelievable claims that Russian intelligence had a video of then-private citizen Trump involved with prostitutes at the Moscow Ritz-Carlton Hotel. <laughs> and isn't it funny, folks, that far more likely it would have been the pedophile in chief before he went completely senile, or even more likely, his crackhead hokermonger of a video selfie-taking son. The Durham motion in limine notes that the timing of various statements indicates that, quote, the defendant couldn't keep his lies straight. And furthermore, the story notes there are Denchenko's false statements about Charles Dolan, an influential Democrat executive with ties to the Clintons. And interestingly, it was Dolan who was given a tour of that Ritz-Carlton presidential suite, the supposed locations of, quote, Trump's alleged lurid sexual activities, unquote. He is, though, at least expected to testify at trial. And just what is Durham's theory on Danchenko's motive for lying to the FBI about the Ritz-Carlton allegations? Because it was, quote, a deliberate effort to conceal from the FBI, as if they really wanted to know anyway, Charles Dolan's role as a source for the Steele reports and to deceive the FBI regarding Millian's role or lack thereof. You do kind of get the sense of a sacrificial scapegoat here, don't you? And there's lots more in here on Durham's theory that Danchenko engaged in a, quote, overarching plan to deceive the FBI about his work for Orbis, the company that collected the information contained in the bogus Steele report. And this may be the least surprising thing in the whole story here, folks. When reports surfaced of Danchenko's imminent indictment, it didn't take much to make an educated guess that he would be charged with giving false statements relating to his prior contacts with Russia, Russia, Russian intelligence. 
You do, after all, have to have a scapegoat so that the real criminals, who knew all along, or at least should have known, can skate one more time and keep on doing what they've been doing, because they've still got a nation to destroy. Oh, yeah, and one last thing, just in case you're curious. How is the lion gray lady herself? The New York Times going to spin this one? The headline says, Durham Inquiry appears to wind down as grand jury expires. Looks like they're wrapping up their work, they say, with no further charges in store. Kind of makes you wonder if they got the FBI memo. Once you're the rest well, in a month from now, this Hollywood big shot's going to give you what you want. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Here's one more. I guess you could call it a related subject, at least when it comes to election fraud, from Jordan Conradson at the Gateway Pundit. A Clinton-appointed, what else, federal judge has now barred officials in Arizona from enforcing a new law there put in place after the rigged election that would remove dead voters, non-residents, and non-citizens from voter rolls. It's called the New Arizona Election Integrity Law that would have been enforced for the upcoming 2022 general election. But at least if this particular scumbag has her way, not so much. HB 2247, it's called, is meant to clean the voter rolls and remove registrants who are now registered in another state and no longer live in Arizona. It would also add a statement on voter registration forms specifying that if someone registers and then permanently moves to another state after registering in this one, that registration would be canceled. And it would also direct the county recorders to cancel voter registrations when they confirm that someone is dead or the person is no longer an Arizona resident or resident of that county or they're not even a citizen of the United States. (laughs) But of course, we can't have that kind of thing. How else can you keep on rigging what we've got to rig and ever more so now than before? The Gateway Pundit notes they previously discovered during their investigation into what's called ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center, that the two largest counties in the U.S. removed only zero or at most two ineligible voters from their registration rolls in the last four years. ERIC, funded, of course, by George Soros and the so-called Open Society Foundation, is essentially a left-wing voter registration drive disguised as a voter roll cleanup system, and it's used in Arizona and 30 other states. Said the bill's main sponsor, State Representative Jake Hoffman, to the Gateway Pundit, quote, Democrats have stooped to a new level of shamefulness and depravity with their latest round of lies about Arizona's common-sense laws to ensure that our elections are what they don't intend for them to be, folks. Back to the, quote, accessible, secure, and trustworthy. But no, that's not going to happen, said U.S. District Judge Susan Bolton, Clinton appointee in a September 8th order, declaring that the corrupt Secretary of State there, Katie Hobbs, and other officials shall not take any action to implement or enforce HB 2243 in a manner that would remove any voter's eligibility to vote, or maybe vote over and over again, vote early, vote often, right, in the 2022 general election or disqualify basically any ballots on the basis of HB 2243. Said Hoffman, these cries of racism are laughable on their face, and they only serve to shine a spotlight on the socialist left, a.k.a. Democrat Party's long history of institutionalized racism and repeated attempts to disenfranchise millions of Americans throughout the last century and a half. Make no mistake about it, he continued, ensuring clean voter rolls and protecting the sanctity of Arizona's votes by prohibiting non-citizens and non-residents from casting illegal ballots benefits every single legal voter, regardless of their race, gender, income, or party. 
And ponder this, folks. Obviously, the far left would rather have dead people and non-citizens vote in mass over and over again than allow anybody that would call themselves a Make America Great Again constitutionalist, libertarian, Republican, or pretty much you name it, from even being allowed to walk or speak freely, much less cast a valid ballot in an election that they already know how it's supposed to come out. I gotta ask it, does anybody actually still even remotely believe that this upcoming election isn't gonna be even more fraudulent than the one they got away with two years ago? Nothing whatsoever's changed. And furthermore, if the Gestapo and those that are trying to destroy this country and stick a wooden stake in the corpse have their way, and they're sending the message that if you try, you'll be run over, election integrity is really nothing but a sick joke. And the only people believing it are those drinking the Kool-Aid, or working hard to perpetrate the next fraud. So let's talk next about where all this is intended to lead, as if it wasn't more or less obvious. First, from Dr. Ron Paul, about what's already happened in Europe. They're committing suicide by sanctions, he notes, referring to that Swiss billboard that may or may not have been a fraud, making the rounds on social media, depicting a young woman on the telephone with a caption that reads, Does a neighbor heat the apartment to over 19 degrees? Please inform us. Whether it's fake or not, he says, according to Swiss newspaper Blick, those who violate that 66-degree Fahrenheit Achtung heating limit could face up to three years in prison. Are you kidding, he says, prison time for heating your home in a free world? How is it possible in 2022, he says, that the European continent now faces a winter like something out of the Dark Ages? Part of the problem, he says, and it's been long promoted, even by some who claim to be opposed to war, because, at least so they claim, it's less destructive, sanctions are in reality acts of war. And the result is often unintended consequences or blowback. European sanctions, writes Dr. Paul, against Russia over the invasion in Ukraine earlier this year, will likely go down in history as a prime example of how sanctions have unintended consequences. While they claim to seek to punish Russia by cutting off gas and oil imports, EU politicians seem to have forgotten, or maybe they're just stupid unto death, folks, that Europe is completely dependent on Russian energy supplies and that the only people who will suffer if those imports are shut down are Europeans themselves. The Russians, though, had no problem pivoting to the south and east. They found plenty of new buyers in China, India, and just about everywhere else. In fact, state-run Gazprom, the Russian energy giant, has reported their profits have doubled in the first half of this year. Meanwhile, Russia is getting rich while Europeans are facing a freezing winter and total economic collapse, all because of, as he puts it, a false belief that sanctions are a cost-free way to force other countries to do what you want them to do. Or worse, your host adds, they're a non-solution that's intended to destroy the gullible. Well, some Europeans at least may have had enough. Thousands of Austrians took to the streets in a freedom rally over the weekend to end sanctions and reopen the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Last week, an estimated 100,000 Czechs took to the streets of Prague to protest the idiotic policy, while in France, the Yellow Vests are back on the streets. And in Serbia, Germany, and elsewhere, protests are gearing up. Why, even the WAPO was forced to admit that Russian sanctions aren't having the intended effect. In an article this week, that paper worries Sanctions are inflicting, quote, collateral damage in Russia and beyond, potentially even hurting the very countries that impose them, unquote. And are you kidding me? You really do have to wonder just how stupid these people are. 
But it's predictable, says Dr. Paul. Sanctions kill. Sometimes they kill innocents in the country targeted for destruction. Often, though, they kill innocents in the countries imposing them. The solution, as always, he says, is non-intervention. No more color revolutions. No more meddling. It's really that simple. And for that reason, and you knew this, didn't you, it's never, ever going to even be an option. Because there's a bigger agenda at play here, and this just makes it all the more obvious. Then there, we go next to an interesting piece from Lee Smith at the Epoch Times about the Communist Chinese Party and how they are at war with America. But the bulk of our political and military leadership, sick, he says don't see it. According to retired General Robert Spaulding, though, that's because they're not trained to understand how the CCP has committed and combined its economic, military, diplomatic, technological, and communications capabilities to wage unrestricted warfare against its principal enemy, us. Says Lee Smith, I spoke with General Spaulding for the latest episode of Over the Target Live about why it's so difficult to understand the nature and magnitude of the CCP threat. Quote, I had to educate myself to see these patterns, he said, because it's a completely different way of thinking, and our brains just aren't encoded to understand political warfare to the level that the Chinese Communist Party and the PLA are. That's how they're taught. I was taught a different type of warfare, said the retired Air Force officer who flew B-2 stealth bombers. And then move from being military attaché at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing at the beginning of Donald Trump's administration to the White House itself as Senior Director of Strategic Planning. But studying CCP political warfare, he said, required him to, quote, understand a new context for warfare that really had more to do with emotions and psychology as well as control of the narrative. Referring to a 1999 booklet called Unrestricted Warfare, written by two PLA Army colonels, he deciphers the difficult, dense, and often meandering CCP texts to have determined the course of Beijing's relentless campaigns against America and use every instrument at their disposal. They learned a critical lesson, he says, in response to Bill Clinton's aircraft carrier assault in the Taiwan Strait back in 1996, and that was to avoid direct military conflict with America. Instead, they drew on tools made available to the U.S. and the West, such as trade and economic relations, and international institutions that they could turn to their advantage. The colonel saw that globalization and the vast information platform provided by the Internet would further the CCP's brand of warfare which literally uses all means, including armed and non-armed force, military and non-military, lethal and non-lethal means, to compel the enemy to accept what you want them to do. The only rule, he said, in unrestricted warfare is that there are no rules. To date, though, their most successful campaign has been COVID-1984. In his book, War Without Rules, Spalding says, you can see what they're doing with the coronavirus. It's not about the virus. It's about the fear they were able to engender because the virus existed. Whether, folks, it was Fauci's idea or the CCP's or just a partnership from hell, because of their connection, says Spalding, to the West, they were able to use those connections to help pipe their fear into society. They use cultivated tools like WHO and the Imperial College of London, and in the process violated every freedom that was at one time the bedrock of Western societies. Like the deep state, evidently, but maybe I repeat myself, they see, quote, the idea of freedom, he says, is an existential threat to the Communist Chinese Party. They're concerned their population may become awakened by these principles of freedom. So the best way to prevent that is to destroy the West and their freedoms at the same time. And if you think about it, folks, that pretty much explains just about everything that the Biden puppet and his Communist Chinese Party controllers, or is it their deep state controllers, or do I repeat myself again, are up to. 
There is a war on, and you know who they've pegged as the enemy. 